That's what the Bible says. Matthew 21, verse 1 says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet in Zechariah 9 and 9, nearly 500 years earlier. Zechariah said this, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches, palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? I love that thought. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us over these next moments we have together. God, help us to hear what you want to say to us. Thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for those who are in the room and those who are even joining us online today. We thank you for that. We believe that over this period of just 30 or 40 minutes that we have together here in your word that you are going to speak to us something that will transform our lives we thank you for that in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen Amen. I'm gonna give you a chance to do something you don't normally get to do in second service but I'd like for you to make a little bit of noise and welcome our online audience with us today we're streaming this service so we're glad you're with us So we see here in Matthew 21, as the crowd begins to cry out that all of these things are taking place by prophetic utterance. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He tells us through his word here in Matthew 21, he tells us that even this story of going to get this donkey is prophetic. We see it in Zechariah 9 and 9. And what I love so much about this Passion Week is I believe this Passion Week is the result of a decision that Jesus made to go to Jerusalem way back in Luke chapter 9. I believe that the Passion is the result of the focus of Jesus. Jesus' intention to through all of history to make his way to Jerusalem to be crucified for us. It's an amazing time in his life because... The, the amount of focus that's required by Jesus to get to Jerusalem, to get to the cross is incredible. He's got to manage the crowds, the expectations of the crowds. He's got to manage people that are praising him, people that are trying to kill him. He's got to manage his own disciples who are acting pretty weird at this point in time. He's got to manage his own his own anxiety about the suffering that is going to take place on the cross as we see in the garden as he prays. He's got to manage even the, the uh, care of his mother. While Jesus is on the cross, Jesus has enough intention and focus to look at his, ma- his mother while he is suffering this incredible excruciating pain to look at his mother and make sure that she's taken care of 
by his friend John after he dies. He's also concerned with prophetic fulfillment. He's got to make sure that things that he does, he does in line with Scripture. He cannot do anything out of line with Scripture. So he's trying to fulfill prophecy. He's trying to take care of his mother. He's trying to take care of his friends. He's got two disciples who are getting ready to betray him. And he has this garden situation where he's going to go through this experience of this excruciating pain and suffering that turns his sweat into drops of blood while the disciples themselves are asleep on Jesus. He's having to manage all of this. And he does it because he is extremely focused on his decision to go to Jerusalem. He's focused. As a matter of fact, the eyes of Jesus were set on Something, a glory that was greater than anything he was experiencing. And that's why the Bible says he was able to go through all that he went through because he was focused on a destination. Hebrews 12 puts it this way that he says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, is where we find that Jesus makes the decision to set his face to go to Jerusalem. Luke 9.51 says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He resolved in his heart. It's a reminder of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 50 when he said, I set my face like a flint. A flint is a rock. It's a very hard, dark rock that is used figuratively throughout the Bible to express unwavering devotion, commitment, and focus. And this prophetic word in Isaiah is even older than the prophetic word in Zechariah. It's nearly 800 years before Jesus went through, he went through. Isaiah even tells us so specifically, he says that Jesus would offer his back to those who beat him, his cheeks to those who pulled out his beard. The Bible even says he did not hide his face from mocking and spitting. So Jesus was intently focused on accomplishing the thing that God had sent him to the earth to accomplish. His eyes were focused on a glory that was greater than his pain. And focus is so important, not only to Jesus accomplishing his purpose, but it's important for us. And we can see that Jesus was able to make it through this Passion Week because of focus. And if we will focus our eyes like Jesus focused his eyes, we will be able to fulfill the call of God on our lives. Does anybody in the room want to fulfill the call of God on their life? You want to do the thing that God put you on this earth to do? Well, it's important that you focus because focus determines desire. Because you long for what you consistently look at. And you become what you behold. Job 31 and 7 says, my heart goes after what my eyes behold. The focus of Jesus' life was that moment where he would hang on the cross, die for humanity, be buried, resurrected, and ascend to heaven. And our focus is very similar in that we are focused on something that is greater than us, more glorious than us, and his name is Jesus. The focus of our lives should be Jesus. That's why even before in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that before it says that Jesus was focused on that glory set before him, it tells us that we should keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And there are a lot of things in the world right now vying for our attention. As a matter of fact, we live in an economy of attention. 
That's why we have a 24-hour news cycle. That's why we have news that runs every hour of the day. That's why you have media that runs constantly. You can stream it on every device. You have 35 different apps you can use to stream content because we live in an economy of attention. And wouldn't it be like the enemy to get us unfocused on Jesus and focused on the wrong things and cause us to miss out on the purpose that God has for us? But I came to talk to some people today who are intentional about their lives to the point where they have decided no more of my attention belongs to the things of this world, but Jesus Christ alone deserves my full attention. There are moments in time where we turn our attention to things like this week where there was this awful and tragic shooting at the school in Nashville, and we saw as teachers and faculty and little children lost their lives and our attention is turned towards that and our heart breaks for that and we pray for that but we don't stay there because if we stay there then we miss Jesus if we stay there then we get we get we get we get hopeless we we start to want to hurt people we start to want to get revenge but we can't stay there if we'll turn our focus to Jesus Jesus will give us answers he'll give us solutions he'll give us a way forward he'll give us hope in the middle of the darkness he'll give us a reason to keep on living he'll he'll say i know you live in this dark world but you have the light of the world on the inside of you and if you'll just continue to share that light see you look at stuff and you look at it and you focus on it and you become it Job said, I become what I behold. And if I focus my intention on the divisive things that are happening in our world and the things that are driving us crazy that are happening in our world and the tragedy that is in our world, then I'll lose sight of Jesus. And the design of my life is that I would be conformed, like Romans 8, 29 says, I would be conformed into the image of his son into the image of Jesus. How does this happen? I focus my eyes. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He said, we behold the glory of the Lord and we are changed into his very own image from glory to glory. So the psalmist said more than that. It's It's something he says, as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. You don't have to be reminded of me if you keep setting Me before you. If you keep your focus on me, you don't have to be reminded of me. I feel like I'm in a room full of some people today who are like, you don't have to remind me of what Jesus has done for me. When I take communion, it's just a refocusing of my life. It's not a it's not a reminder anymore because the Lord is always before me. My eyes are always looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. It's why we wear a ring. So that she is always before me. She's always on my mind. She doesn't slip my mind because I wear her on my hand. That's why God said about you that you are, your name is literally marked on his hand. You are always before him. He doesn't have to be reminded about you. He doesn't have to be woken up by the angels and told, hey, Robbie's really going through something today. You might want to pay attention. No, he doesn't have to because I am always before him because my, my name is on the palm of his hand. The psalmist said in Psalm 24, 27 and 4, he said, this one thing I desire, this one thing I seek to dwell in his house, to gaze upon his beauty, to seek him in his temple. Psalm 119.37 said, I turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things and give my eyes to his 
ways. Someone told me recently that the CEO of Netflix said that their only competition is sleep. Did you catch that? He said their only competition is sleep. What he's trying to say is that there are billions of dollars being spent to keep you awake, to keep you unhealthy, to keep you on your couch, to keep you unfit, to keep you unhappy, and ultimately to keep you unfocused. Because one of the ways the enemy fights us is he fights us with distractions. And we are more distracted than we have ever been in our lives. And God, through this Passion Week, is reminding us that there is a glory before you that's greater than what you are paying attention to in the natural. Focus is this selective attention we pay. It's not just the choice to look at something. It's the choice to not look at something you can see. It's the decision what you won't look at, what you won't listen to, where you won't spend your time and who you won't spend your time with. Some people tell me, man, you're really picky in your relationships. No, I'm not picky. I'm just living on purpose. <laughs> I've, I've got this philosophy about life, and I see it in the life of Jesus. I see that everyone that Jesus encountered, were, they received the love of Jesus, but not everyone got the same access to the life of Jesus. Because when you are reckless with the placement of people in your life, you do not take your life seriously, and you lack focus. Jesus rejected popularity. He rejected the praise of the crowds. He rejected the celebrity that came along with his ministry. He rejected this focus on him as an individual. And instead, he built a kingdom with a bunch of people that would end up changing the world. And here's how Jesus focused his attention. He loved everybody, but he only spent a few precious moments with a very limited amount of people. And when you read the scripture, you see that Jesus taught the crowds. But he didn't empower the crowds. The Bible says in Luke 10 that he empowered 72. So he taught the crowds. He empowered 72. He trained personally 12. And that he confided in only three. Peter, James, and John. And only one of them actually made it to the cross while he was suffering on the cross. Isn't that wild that the closer you get to the purpose that God has for you, the smaller the crowds get in your life? We've got it backwards. We think that the closer we get to the purpose of God, the bigger and bigger the crowds get and the more popular we become. But man, I'm telling you, the closer you get to the purpose of God, the smaller and smaller things become and the more focused and intentional things get. So Jesus teaches us how to focus. In Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 53, where we read that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Let's read the rest of that and discover some ways that we can keep our focus, keep our passion, finish our race. Luke 9, 51 through 53 says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he said, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. 
But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And in the next couple of verses, the Bible says that the disciples got angry because they wouldn't receive him. They asked Jesus, do you want us to set them on fire, consume them with the fire that falls from heaven? And Jesus says, no, he rebuked them. He, in one translation, he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. He says, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save men's lives. And this rejection that you feel is not going to throw me off of my purpose. Samaritans in Samaria rejecting Jesus. He says, it's not going to distract me from the reason I came in the earth. And right now, I would say that there are a lot of people in this room and watching me online who are distracted because of Samaria. Let me talk to you about this for a moment. Sometimes the difference between a breakdown and a breakthrough is focus. There are times when we lose, not because we lack the ability, but because we lack focus. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching and he says that we should seek first. Matthew 6 and 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. He tells us, he says, listen, stop chasing after the same things that the pagans do. Because the pagans are worried about where they're going to get their next meal, where they're going to get their food from, where they're going to get their clothes from, where they're going to get their, their, their house from, where they're going to live. And he says, you, you stop as my people. It's not your job to focus on that. He says, I want you to focus on my kingdom. And when you focus on my kingdom, I'll give to you, I'll add to you all of those things. Sometimes what feels like a lack of provision on God's part is actually a lack of focus on ours. So he says, seek first the kingdom. Why? Because I'll give you peace that money cannot buy. Because if you spend your time chasing after those things, you will spend your time chasing after the thing that will give you those things. And when you get to the end of money, money doesn't satisfy. So he's saying, if you'll seek first my kingdom, yes, I'll take care of your needs, but I will also give to you a peace that money can't buy. I'll provide for you a righteousness that you cannot get from your own human effort. I'll give you a freedom that you cannot find in any other place because the highest form of compensation is not money. It's fulfillment. And this is what Jesus was after. He wasn't after the applause. That's why he was never swayed by the crowds. He was never drawn in or pushed away because of the crowds. He was always led by the Spirit to the place that he was intended to go. And nothing was able to throw him off. Isaiah said that I, 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 I made it an intent. I wasn't going to allow even the mocking and the betrayal and the pulling out of my beard to keep me from my purpose. And there are some people in this room today who need to make up their mind that there is nothing that can keep me from what God has for me. And I'm not going to allow rejection. I'm not going to allow intimidation. I'm not going to allow people. I'm not going to allow my own hurt feelings. I'm not going to allow my lack. I'm not going to allow anything to keep me from what God has for me because there is glory where he is calling me. This is good. This is good for us. So Jesus set his face. What does that mean? It just literally means Jesus 
chose the destination. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He made up his mind. I'm going to Jerusalem. Listen to me. Even the GPS in your car cannot determine the roads you take until you pick a destination. You have to decide where you are going to know how to get there. And there are a lot of people in this room that you're living frustrated and unfulfilled because you haven't picked a destination. And you're just taking any road that you can take because when you don't have a destination in mind, because here's what GPS does. Even if the road gets blocked, it recalculates the route. It doesn't tell you to go home. You don't ever get to this point in your GPS. It just constantly it keeps, keeps trying to find a road. It never says, you know what? This is too difficult. You should head back home today. Traffic's too bad. Go home. It never tells you to do that. But if you don't know where you're going, then what looks like roadblocks and alternate routes will look like they're an indicator to you that you should turn around and go home. But if you have made up your mind, you are going somewhere, then I don't care how I get there. I'll take a dirt road if I have to. I'll pave my own road if I have to because I have made up my mind that I am getting to the place that God has put in my heart to go. Is there anybody in the room who's just tired of letting roadblocks keep them from what God has for them? I'm not going home this time. I'm not turning around this time. So he chose a destination. If you don't choose a destination, you'll date anybody. You'll take any job. Money will use you. And rejection will offend you instead of directing you. This is what I want us to notice about Jesus. Jesus was able to get to Palm Sunday. He was able to get to this week of passion that we're celebrating right now. Because he made up his mind. He was getting there. And no amount of rejection, no amount of applause was going to keep him. In other words, what I love about Jesus is Jesus refused to allow men to crown him king before he wore a crown of thorns. He didn't get it backwards. And if we were offered the palm branches and the garments of the people, we would have never made it to the cross. Because we would have stayed there letting the people applaud us and tell us we were awesome and singing Hosanna to us. But Jesus didn't even allow applause to distract him, much less rejection. And what he experiences here in Luke chapter 9 is rejection. Immediately, after he sets his face, he's immediately rejected. It's amazing, isn't it, how that same thing happens to you and I when we finally make up our mind to do something. There's almost this immediate opposition to what we want to do. Have you ever even here at church on a Sunday morning made up your mind? God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my way of living. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home and I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to pray for my kids. I'm going to begin to read my Bible. And immediately when you get out of this room and you get into the parking lot and you're sitting there for 15 minutes and you're going nowhere, you immediately lose focus of all of those commitments you made to God. And the opposition has caused you to rethink your entire life. You're like, I don't know if I'm ever getting out of here, much less doing what God wants me to do. I'm probably going to be stuck in this parking lot forever. 
So there is immediate opposition. You make up your mind. I'm going to really, I'm going to really fight for my family. And then the next thing you know, the, the, the divorce papers come. I'm going, to, I'm going to start to intercede for my kids. And the next thing you know, they get expelled from school. You, isn't it wild how like I finally make a decision that I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm finally going to set my eyes on Jesus. And opposition happens immediately. And the Bible says that Jesus asked his disciples to go into Samaria and prepare a place for them to stay there. And they get into Samaria and the Samaritans say no. It's one thing for someone you've never helped to say no to you. It's another thing for someone you have gone out of your way to help to say no to you. This is what happens here. These, these Samaritans are more than likely the same Samaritans that knew Jesus and Jesus was expecting and his disciples were that they would receive them because in John chapter 4, Jesus ministered to a woman at a well who was a Samaritan in Samaria. And literally the whole town was transformed because of the testimony of Jesus. And the same group of people that Jesus has helped now won't help him. Oh, man. Why? The Bible says that they could tell that he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Could it be maybe a little bit of jealousy, maybe a little bit of insult, maybe a little bit of that bitterness that was there because of the fighting between the Jews and the Samaritans and them feeling like, oh, if you're going to Jerusalem for the Jews, you're just going to pass through here. Oh, man, can you see it? This is why it's so important to set your destination. Because if not, then you will assume that people are rejecting you because something is wrong with you. But here's what I found out about this rejection. That if I set my destination, then there are actually a lot of relational decisions I don't have to make. My destination makes for me. I've never once in my life had to Look somebody in the face and say, you are cut out of my life. I will never speak to you again. I'm not saying you won't. I'm just saying I haven't. And I think one of the reasons that that decision has been made for me most of the time has been because of the decision I made to seek Jesus. And ultimately, me deciding to seek Jesus made a few people realize I can't roll with him anymore. He's on his way to Jerusalem. So you don't have to run around telling everybody, you know, I can't talk to you. I can't hang out with you anymore. If you have made a real decision to seek Jesus, that decision by itself will make people look at you and say, we can't roll with them anymore. They're heading in a different direction than us. And so a lot of the decisions you, you have to make relationally, you won't have to make if you'll really make a decision for Jesus. If you would really make a decision for Jesus, do you realize how many, how, ladies, how many dudes you would actually remove 
from your life. But because most of us want to choose Jesus and our flesh, relationships that should walk away from us are staying connected to us because in, there's some part of us that still wants to be accepted by Samaria. And if you're not careful, if you don't set a destination, you will spend the rest of your life trying to be accepted by Samaria when the next town is where God is calling you to. Jesus said to the disciples who wanted to burn up the whole town with fire from heaven, he said, let's just go to the next town. If you're not careful, you will think that Samaria is the only place that you fit. But if you will open up your eyes and you will make a decision to follow Jesus, every door of a, re of a rejection, every closed door in your life is actually God opening a door in another town. Every time somebody says no to you, it's actually God allowing the right person to say yes to you. I want somebody in the room to give God praise for every closed door, for every time he shut the door. Some of you are like, man, they're leaving me out. No, they, they are not leaving you out. God is keeping you out. What you have to understand about God is he loves you so much that he will allow you to feel the pain of rejection because to him, rejection is not really rejection. It is protection. It is an indicator that a door is open somewhere else. And I need to stop wasting my time trying to get the people of Samaria to like me because if I spend the rest of my life trying to get to Samaria to accept me, then I'll never make it to my passion week. I'll never make it to my purpose. I'll never make it to the cross, but I refuse to allow rejection to keep me still. I'm moving on. I have decided that where I don't listen, I'm tired of trying to make people love me, accept me, receive me, want me. Could it be that you are not hard to be loved? Could it be that you are just trying to get love from the wrong people? And you need to watch out for the people who constantly make you feel like you are blessed because they love you. You are privileged to be in their life. I love Jesus. He said, let's just go to the next town. The disciples were like, no, let's kill them, burn them. And some of y'all are stuck there. <laughs> You're stuck trying to get vengeance on the people who rejected you. That's why bad news in their life makes you feel good. <laughs> Don't tell me it ain't true. I recently heard about some. This is just recent for me. I recently heard about someone who was going through something. And uh, man, that's self-righteous. Like, yeah, I could have told you that was going to happen. I'm shocked that their marriage did. Oh, I saw it coming a million miles away. Something in us that gets stuck in Samaria. That's why we never make it to Jerusalem. Jesus didn't avoid opposition. He ran right into it. He walked with total confidence into the fight of his life. Yes, he experienced some anxiety in the garden as he prayed. But he wasn't a crybaby in the garden. 
he was a warrior in that garden and he defeated his flesh here's the thing when you avoid the battle you were born for you start facing battles you're not equipped for in 2 Samuel 11 and 1 the Bible says about David it says in the spring at the time when the kings go off to war David sent his army and they won but David remained in Jerusalem and right after that it tells us that David woke up one night he got out of his bed started scrolling on his phone did a search for Bathsheba found her Instagram profile started going through her pictures <laughs> that's too real that's, that's like we don't identify with David as long as he's up on a roof watching a woman bathe like that never happens to us but we get in a whole lot of trouble when we wake up at night and we grab that phone And the reason he fought that fight is because he wasn't fighting the fight he was born to fight. And the reason you find yourself fighting fights that you cannot win, that you feel like will never end in your life is because you are not fighting the fight you were born to fight. And the reason you lose is because you're not equipped for that fight. I tell married couples all the time, it's like God is never going to empower you, grace you, to beat your spouse in an argument. There are just some fights God will not empower you to win. Oh, man. Jesus finds himself in Passion Week. He's came into town on the donkey. He's now having wild conversations. These people who know the law very well are trying to challenge Jesus. They're trying to catch him in some mistake, embarrass Jesus somehow. If you read these stories, they're not asking Jesus for an answer to a question. They're asking Jesus these questions to get his attention. And some people aren't talking you to you because they want to hear what you have to say. Some people are talking to you because they're trying to distract you from your purpose. Because they asked Jesus one time, they said, under what authority do you do this? You know what he, you know, you know what he did? I don't have to tell you. That's so bad. I don't even have to tell you. I don't have to explain myself to you. The enemy wants your attention. Why? Because he wants to keep you. 